We're often told that Australia started with convicts as a secular nation, and that's the way we've always been. What should you do when your Christian beliefs and your Christian duties are made illegal acts? We have a right to participate in society. Uh, we have a right to and an obligation to present our Christian point of view. Uh, it's really important uh, that we as faith people, as Christians, uh, continue to advocate uh, for issues in the public space. Many people are convinced that Christianity is simply not true, that faith is lazy, anti-intellectual thinking, that Christianity is a delusion. And I want to tackle that head on. What do we do when our church and even the denomination that we're in slides into apostasy? How should a Christian think about critical race theory? I mean, what is critical race theory? Did you know that many post-abortive women and men regret their abortions? Our nation's kids are not okay. Almost half of our children under age 13 are experiencing some form of family fragmentation. Author Roy Williams has written that as a Christian, he's sick of the Christian influence in Australia being referred to as either minimal or malign. History tells us that this is not the case. Because we contribute to human flourishing better than any other system of values. You know, the Christians in Victoria are facing this very dilemma right now. And in my political work, I'm seeing signs that this is just Many other people think that far from just being an irrelevant delusion, that in fact religion and Christianity in particular is harmful to society, that its ideas are repressive, outdated and damaging to people's lives. I'll be joined by a host of incredible speakers who are going to be dealing with all sorts of practical topics about being a Christian in 21st century Australia. I want to unpack and analyse critical race theory through a Christian biblical worldview. These photos are shocking and raw and real, and they're reaching people around the world on both sides of the fence. So what would it look like if we approach these policies that impact marriage, parenthood, even reproductive technologies through the eyes of a child? What would change? And what are other countries doing in this area? We must protect the family unit and support families, support Australians who want to start a family. But the role of defending our children does not simply lie with our legislators. I would like to share with you my amazing journey of following God when it doesn't make sense. I went from missionary to newborn photographer to the founder of two photography ministries that would go on to reach millions of people around the world. It is the job of ordinary people, courageous types, uh, with a fortitude and the, and the willingness to voice unpopular opinions at times and they can bring about changes that our future generations desperately need. Many Christians feel voiceless at the moment, unaware of how to respond to these challenges and have meaningful God conversations, feeling pushed out of the public square. What can we learn from those who've experienced this in the past? What is the best way to respond? And why does getting this right actually make a difference uh, in the wider aims of what we're trying to do to make Christ known uh, to our entire nation that we love. I can't wait to get into these questions. So don't miss this opportunity either in person or online to join me and the amazing other speakers at this unique Australian summit. Join me 
either in person or online. So I'd love it if you joined me and everyone else for the conference, Church and State. The Church and State Summit. The Church and State Summit. At the Church and State Summit in February. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello, your host for the evening. This is uh, my show where I get to basically just uh, tell you exactly what I'm thinking, and uh, and occasionally I even do my own production. You just saw there, I completely forgot to put myself on the screen, and we had uh, auto YouTube videos playing. Um, so this is a little bit raw and organic, uh, but what I really want to do is just have a conversation with you and uh, try and explain some of the, the finer details of, of policy and politics and encourage Australian voters, and for that matter, worldwide, to be more educated. I believe that the solution to bad government is good voters. And really, there is no problem. A good friend of mine, Professor David Flint, puts a, a little phrase like this. There is no problem which, if not made worse by government, wasn't created by government in the first place. And we see that, uh, I think, one of the best examples for that right now is the uh, socialist state of Victoria, Stan, where an entire state has been locked down because of a very, very small outbreak. For the third time, the entire state has been locked down, devastating economy, having huge human cost because of a zero-sum approach to... Uh, quarantine and the China virus, uh, whereas uh, it's the opinion of the Daniel Andrews administration that if there is any virus in the state, the entire state must be deprived of God-given liberty, as if it was his right to revoke it at any time. Uh, that's bad government. That's disproportionate at the best. The best you can say about that government is disproportionate result responses um, to a massive, massive uh, human cost. Um, and so the disproportionate responses to a virus outbreak, uh, you know, it's, it's a nuclear bomb to an anthill. And congratulations, you took care of the anthill. Uh, but what, at what cost? At what cost? And, and so there is so much else which government, um, if they don't create the problem, just makes the problem worse by intervening. Now, there is a good place for government, so maybe let's start there. The, the topic tonight is church and state, and the reason for the topic is that uh, I'm convening a conference, a summit, at the end of next week, the 26th and 27th of February, uh, and I'd love you to be there, either in person or online. It is a Christian conference, uh, and that's because I'm a Christian. That's the one thing about my political views that I choose. Uh, and if I'm conservative, then it's by coincidence. And I don't take a position because it's conservative. I take a position because that's the best decision I can make to follow Jesus. And if that sometimes ends up being liberal, then I don't care because that's just a label. If it ends up being conservative, and that's how I tend to be, if, if you want to put labels on it, then again, I don't care about the labels. I just compare about truth and accuracy. I want to be right. And so I actually welcome my opponents and my counterparts on, on any political philosophy, on any political debate, actually proving to me I'm wrong. It's not enough to just say I'm wrong. 
because there's lots of people who disagree with truth. And so the mere assertion is not enough in a disagreement. Uh, I welcome the disagreement. I welcome the debate. Uh, I welcome a constructive dialogue. And constructive needs to be sincere for a start and always needs to be civil. Uh, now, there's lots and lots of people who stalk my pages and troll me, and, and I, I take them as strength and energy. They're uh, vitamin B, uh, Barocca in the morning to help me keep going. Uh, a great example of the ignorance and darkness that pervades the world out there. Uh, but what I pursue is truth. And this is actually uh, one of the, the keys to making politics a welcome topic in pulpits and churches. Uh, the reason politics most often isn't welcome, isn't embraced or pursued in a pulpit is because of the potential to divide the congregation. And, and that is a, an outworking of the gift of pastor, of shepherd uh, in the local flock, the local congregation. The shepherd lives for the sheep. He dies for the sheep. He, he feeds the sheep just as Jesus commanded. He said to Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. And then Peter said, then feed my sheep over and over again. Uh, that's what Jesus wants from the local pastor. But a strength to an extreme ends up being a weakness. And one of the ways that the strength of the pastor gift can manifest in extremes sometimes is, is being afraid of what the sheep think. And, and that is because there's a potential in political topics for uh, the sheep to be stupid and to let um, the important topics actually divide the flock, divide the congregation, which the shepherd is charged with keeping together. So here's where the wisdom is, is we need to learn how to disagree. We need to learn how to talk about important uh, topics such as religion and politics. And I would submit to you on the topic of church and state that the, the topics of religion and politics are not too far apart. Religion deals with two major themes. One is our relationship with God, and the second is our relationship with each other. Now, it would be terrible if any government tried to mandate or regulate our relationship with God, our Christian duty, our Christian behavior, our Christian beliefs. And for the record, that is exactly what Daniel Andrews, Anastasia Palaszczuk and the ACT government have done with their heinous, illiberal, authoritarian and tyrannical legislation to not only ban prayer outside abortion clinics or, or who cares where it is, that, that's beyond the government's role to ban pray, prayer, uh, but to even go so far as to say what type of counselling and beliefs and prayer is appropriate in a private um, role. And there's claims of good intentions with that legislation, but it was a solution looking for a problem. There was no problem with uh, conversion um, counselling. If a consenting adult goes to a pastor and says, uh, I have these unwanted feelings of either gender confusion or sexual confusion, uh, can you please counsel me and pray for me from the word of God? How dare the government intervene in that relationship? But here's where the church, the pastor, and us as Christians can be mature and wise and responsible 
in bringing politics back into the church where it belongs. You see, religion instructs us not only on our relationship with God, but on our relationship with each other. Uh, commandments such as you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These are religious laws about our relationship with each other. And that's exactly what public policy is and legislation. It tells us how we should treat each other. It should protect us and God-given freedoms uh, from strangers, uh, domestic, even in our families, so not necessarily strangers, but from other people uh, at, at any kind of relationship, all the way to an international level, from contravening those uh, essential freedoms that God gave us. And that is the role of government. That's where I started uh, this topic uh, as I went on this rabbit trail, is I essentially believe that government over government is, is a big problem, is a big problem, the cause of problems or the exacerbator of problems. Now, there is a role for government. Not all government is evil. Don't take me uh, to say something that I haven't said. I believe there is a role for government, but it is limited. It is small. It is God-described. And God describes government as the role of protecting the freedoms that, that he gave us, those rights and those responsibilities. Uh, the American founding fathers uh, phrased it as the right to pursue uh, liberty, and happiness, uh, and and that is exactly now. Over government is the opposite of liberty, uh, and the pursuit of happiness was language that they chose instead of a more religious uh, kind of dogmatic language, which was essentially the pursuit of our relationship with God, which does bring happiness. Now that happiness, uh, you can use secular language if you prefer, and and they did choose that there. Uh, with lots of theological references elsewhere. But there, it's just, you know, what makes you happy? As long as you're not contravening those essential rights of other people, the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to private property. Yes, that's one of the Ten Commandments, private property. Uh, you shall not steal. There's no such thing as stealing if nobody owns anything. Um, and so we see right there, uh, God is interested in, in the natural freedom to own private property. Uh, but that's what government should be um, uh, installing. Uh, and, and so that's essentially um, the, the relationship that religion has or a private faith has with public policy is when we acknowledge these things and, and submit and cooperate uh, with God Almighty or the higher power that you may not have any personal relationship with, uh, not only does it bring a humility, but it brings a, a perspective that Daniel Andrews and any other elected official or official otherwise in power without a democracy, um, dictatorship or monarchy or, or whatever, uh, that those people are not the final authority. They have to give an account uh, and that there is truth and morality and law that comes higher than them. Uh, so a good uh, approach to bringing politics back into the church where it belongs, because the Bible talks so much about our relationship with other people. Uh, the way to do that is to actually be humble enough, acknowledging that there is an author of the moral law, an author of truth, uh, and, and the relationship then between us as we disagree over these uh, crucially important and sometimes difficult public issues, uh, 
is that we're pursuing truth together. I don't consider it a victory if I'm right. I don't consider it a loss or an injury if I'm wrong and, and lose an argument. In fact, it's the opposite. I consider it a win if I uh, am persuaded uh, that I've been wrong in the past on, on any particular issue. And I have. I welcome that kind of revelation because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is a liability. It's a liability I would rather live without. Uh, the Bible very wisely says, uh, my people perish for the lack of understanding, for the lack of revelation, for the lack of teaching and insight. They're there in ignorance is the path to perishing, destruction, damage. Uh, and that is just so obviously true. Uh, what you don't know can really, really hurt you. And of course, we don't know what we don't know. So that's why when we come to church, we should be really excited when the pastor or other preacher wants to start talking about important public issues, also known as politics, because what we don't know can really hurt us. But more than can hurt us, it can hurt our neighbours. And that's the right priority. That's the right motive for getting interested in politics with or without a Christian faith. The right reason to be interested in politics is your neighbour. It's your city. It's your nation. That's the right reason to be interested in politics. That's the right reason for the love of neighbour. And this, of course, leads us to the parable of the Good Samaritan where Jesus answered the question, who is my neighbour? So some smart lawyer was asking this question and Jesus wanted to illustrate that everybody is your neighbour. Everybody's business is your business in so much as it's our job to look after each other. And there are increasing levels of responsibility as we have increasing levels of relationship. There is nobody who I should care for more than my wife, next my children, next those in my household, next those in my extended family, next those who live around me and in my church community and, and increasing circles um, of, of distance and, and proximity from me. And of course, we should care for people in other nations, but those are the people furthest removed from us. And so here's where uh, I have a conservative approach based in scripture to immigration and, and social policy is, yes, I care about those people, but my first responsibility is to myself. My last responsibility, but still a responsibility, is to those people in other nations far away from me. I still care for them. I still want to do what I can. But my first and highest priority is to those people closest to me. In some other nations, I, I believe Japan, I've got friends who have spent many years in Japan and, and are Japanese. Uh, they explained that in Japan, it's a, it's a social um, stigma to have somebody in your family on government welfare. Why? Because it's the family's job to look after the needy people in their family. And even part of the policy and approach for handing out welfare is to actually survey the family and find out why they're not supporting them. And it's an embarrassment and a stigma and a shame upon a family to have somebody else cared for by the government instead of them. Of course, the welfare is there, and I believe in a social safety net for those people whose families are not able to help them. Well, first, I'd like the local church to be looking after them, but you need to be part of a church for that to work. Uh, but even so, 
the church can look after people outside their congregation. That is the way welfare used to work before government got so big, before politicians figured out that they could get more power if they gave away more stuff because people vote for themselves instead of their neighbours. And that's exactly how we have a bigger and bigger public service, uh, never, ever ending. And, and so, look, that's conservative, but it's conservative by coincidence. I'm a Christian first and I choose to make the word of God the final authority in my life. And again, this is how we build unity in the church when we bring politics into the pulpit, when we say it's okay for us to disagree because you might support the blue party and I might support the red party, but as long as we're both submitted to the will of God, as long as we both agree that his word uh, is the final authority on these issues where it is clear, uh, then we've got plenty of room for differences between ourselves. Unity does not require uniformity. Unity does not require uniformity. A very, very critical truth. Now you have permission in your church for disagreement and differences with unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's no room for differences on the things that Jesus has been black and white clear about it. For example... Jesus created the definition of marriage right in the beginning. And 4,000 or so years later, when he was asked about the definition of marriage on a specific topic uh, to do with divorce by the Pharisees and, and other people trying to trick him, he expanded his response to include the whole definition. And he said to them, uh, um, are you guys beginners? Haven't you read back in the beginning that God said... Uh, let man be joined to his wife and what let them become one flesh and what God has joined, let no man put us under. So we've got uh, binary gender roles, complementary uh, sexual roles uh, and exclusive union for the rest of life. Now, there's no room at all in a Christian Bible-believing church for anybody to undefine what Jesus has defined explicitly unambiguously, universally, exclusively. There's simple, simply no room to debate that. We can have a conversation and we can walk in love, but there's absolutely no permission to blaspheme that truth. So where scripture is black and white, um, then we need to be black and white in public policy. And that kind of certainty provides a conscience for the nation that they don't have to follow, but they certainly should be having the opportunity to hear it. And if there's anybody in our church who is unclear about that, um, then that's the pulpit's fault. That's the Christian's fault for not teaching it and for not sharing it very, very clearly. Uh, and so if there was somebody in our church who disagreed with that and said, well, Jesus is wrong, well, now we've got a reason to divide and separate. I, I think it's foolish to divide a party on support for politicians or platforms or parties. The church should not be partisan, but the church should be political because the Bible is political. It talks about a king, a Lord whose will must be obeyed and, and who we serve. It talks about a kingdom where his will is done, not 
for the sake of, of domineering bullying, but for the sake of the flourishing of every single one of the citizens and residents in that kingdom. That is all about politics. Uh, when early Christians were baptised, they were baptised in a political context where Caesar had literally become a, a, a small g god and he had demanded worship and it was the political norms, socially acceptable, socially required, much the same as uh, conformity to the LGBTIQAX plus uh, agenda is now, um, where you can end up in jail if you misgender somebody, you can end up in trouble before the courts if you misgender somebody, and Daniel Andrews will put you in jail for 10 years if you do anything other than affirm somebody's sexual or gender confusion, uh, which is anti-truth. Uh, and so much in the same regard, it was, it was seditious. It was political insurrection to say anybody other than Caesar was a god that anybody other than Caesar was your Lord. And yet Christians were baptised confessing Jesus as their Lord, a Jew, uh, a, a prophet um, who had been crucified and resurrected to great many public witnesses uh, and done miracles in great public um, ob observance and, and presence. And, and they were confessing this man as Lord and not Caesar. Caesar was not Lord to the Christians. The church has always been very, very political. Uh, and it's been a civilizing influence on the world for greater good. Now, that's one of the things we're going to talk about at the Church and State Summit this year. We're going to actually examine the track record and history of Christianity in world politics and in Australian politics. Cardinal George Pell has a PhD, a doctorate from Oxford University in England uh, in church history. He's going to be teaching us about the track record of Christianity in church history. You may be very familiar with some of the blemishes on church history, uh, but that's because there's a vested interest in giving you a negative story. The overwhelming balance of comparing ideologies on which to build a society says the scoreboard is highly in favour of Christian values and Christian doctrine. I'm not talking about regulated spiritual devotion. I'm talking about regulated relationships with each other, with other people. And when Christian values, the social values of Christianity, become the bedrock and foundation for building a public society and, and, and polity, uh, that is when a society is set up for the most flourishing possible. Of course, we've never had utopia where there's zero poverty and zero suffering and zero injustice. The Bible does speak of that day coming. Uh, and by the way, if you're a skeptic about the second coming of Jesus Christ, you should know that his first coming is a historical reality, incredibly provable. And we're going to go into that at the Church and State Summit as well. But there's eight times more prophecies which were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus about the second coming of Jesus. It is a sure bet to any intellectually honest person who approaches this question with an open mind, ready to examine the evidence and believe the balance of probabilities. Now, it is absolutely critical that we promote unity, absolutely critical that we promote unity in Jesus when we bring politics into the church 
You should never, ever, ever try and take a human side. A Christian is devoted, by definition, if you're doing it right, to Jesus' side. A, uh, a bit of a smart aleck reporter once said to Abraham Lincoln as he was seeking re-election uh, during or just before the Civil War, uh, he said to him, uh, Mr. Lincoln, sir, President Lincoln, do you think uh, God is on your side in this battle, in this election? And Abraham Lincoln said, uh, young man, I'm not interested whether or not God is on my side. I am only concerned with the question, am I on God's side? That's the approach I want to take. I don't want to be conservative. I don't want to be liberal or libertarian or socialist or Marxist or heaven forbid those noxious ideologies, but I don't want to be labelled with any human uh, ideology or label. I want to be on God's side. So if I'm wrong, do me a kindness and correct me. Show me my error. Show me the evidence, the data, the logic, the scripture, and I will listen to you and weigh it sincerely and civilly. I'll debate. I'll push back. I'll argue with you. And together, let's pursue truth. That's a great attitude to have in a church. Together, let's pursue truth. Together, let's look for God's perspective on this issue. Now, there is going to be plenty of political issues where the Bible is completely opaque or silent. For example, how many lanes should there be on the highway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast? There's no scripture for that. Now, I could argue a perhaps environmental, bleeding heart kind of uh, philosophy that we should not expand the infrastructure of the highway because it's going to have a, a, an environmental impact. It may damage the uh, yellow-throated swift um, or, or the spotted-tailed gecko uh, which exists in a swamp that will be landfilled when we expand the highway. I can make an argument from Scripture that we should be responsible for God's creation because he gave us dominion over everything uh, that wasn't human, every, every living thing on the planet, plant or animal. God gave us dominion to care for, to steward, to hand down for many generations to come, forever. We need to look after it. It is a finite resource that we need to make last as long as possible. But then again, I could also make the uh, more practical, pragmatic, uh, human-favoured, um, I would call it conservative position, which is that God is not only for the environment, he's also for people, for families. If we end, uh, if we halve the commute home by making the commute uh, less traffic, etc., then we're going to be able to spend more time with our families more time being productive uh, and less time just caught in a car park um, that's made of asphalt between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Now, what I'm saying here, what I'm drawing an illustration of is there is biblical wisdom for both sides of that argument. That's where it's okay for us to disagree. That's where it's okay for us to debate and not come out with a conclusive outcome. That's where democracy and elections may have a very good place uh, because what God is interested in is not democracy or monarchy or dictatorship. What he's interested in is justice, truth, liberty, and peace. Uh, I'm going to take a breather right here because I've been going nonstop for about half an hour. And I just want to have a look through all of the comments. We've got quite a few people having a chat. Um, okay. Adam Smith. Uh, great books a couple of centuries ago, Adam. Um 
there's some interesting uh, comments there. Um, Colin asks, where is Pello from? I live in the promised land of Queensland where we don't change our clocks at summer. It's probably a bad thing, but only because we're not the same with the rest. Um, Matthew Patterson, good to see you. Mark McGowan, also um, um, the state into lockdown. Glenda says, Dave, I've heard you put the stand on the end of Victoria before. Do you understand the power your words have? Let's go back to the origin of the word and say that we Victorians are victorious. Uh, I do understand the power of my words. Uh, it's it's called humour and um, sarcasm and um, satire. Uh, it's all very powerful for illustrating the, the socialist authoritarian tyranny that is the state of Victoria. Uh, it's very important to speak reality. Um, so with the power of my words, uh, just like the 12 spies who came back from Canaan, uh, they were all very honest about the facts in that promised land. Ten of them said, uh, we're done for. Two of them said, this is no problem for God. The reality is that Victoria is a socialist dictatorship of varying degrees, not as far as uh, communist China under CCP control, although Dan's doing his best to make that happen, uh, but certainly nowhere near the liberal, pluralistic, inclusive democracy that a Western uh, state should be. Um, and so that is the reality. It is Victoria Stan, to put it satirically. Uh, what you do with that is up to you, and that's exactly what we're here for. Uh, if I thought it was fatal and hopeless, I wouldn't be commenting on it and hoping to educate people. Let's be uh, realistic about the facts and let's be full of faith about the future. Um, liberals are just as bad. Oh, Adam Smith, you're 100% right. Liberals are just as bad. Right now, the Liberal Party of South Australia is uh, getting ready to pass legislation that is some of the most heinous, barbaric legislation uh, to do with the killing of unborn children um, in Australia and maybe the world. Uh, they put out documentation, uh, which I think was meant to help sell the legislation, about what they propose should be the policy when a... This is a Liberal Party. Get my blood boiling. Uh, they... And politicians, uh, you know, the Liberal Party politicians in, in South Australia, um, and probably not all of them, but my goodness, uh, they, they think that a woman holding the baby that she tried to abort when it's delivered alive until it dies uh, in her arms is somehow meant to be comforting. Like you just killed a person. You failed to intervene in their medical needs when they, when after it's outside the mother's womb. Let's assume that a woman has a right to not be pregnant. Well, she's not. It's delivered. Now save the human being that is living right there before you. People in South Australia, you have a problem in the Liberal Party. You need to become a member of the Liberal Party if you want to change the quality of the Liberal Party. You need to vote in the pre-selections. You need to vote in your electorate, in your branch, for the best person for the job. And no Liberal Party uh, MP who votes for this evil, demonic, murderous legislation should be re-elected to contest the next election. 
They should be kicked out. They should not be re-elected at all. Absolutely criminal violation of God's natural law, and that's the Liberal Party. And this is why you can't be partisan, is because your party will sometimes be wrong. Your preferred party will sometimes be wrong, and you will need to vote for somebody else to honour God, to honour truth, to honour justice, liberty, and the human flourishing of those around you. That means every election you should be an undecided uh, voter. Uh, Adam says, I thought happiness is a byproduct of achievement. Uh, I've never said that, and I don't agree with that. Uh, we can probably go down that rabbit trail if you really like, but I don't think so. Um, TV presenters consider themselves among elite achievers, but most are evil. Uh, I guess that's uh, an assertion without evidence. Um, lots of comments. Good. Uh, Psychedelic44 says, ignore the political space and your inferiors will rule you. Um, so there's a couple of conversations going on amongst people, private conversations in the comments. So I'm just trying to quickly scan them and uh, move on. Australians have little say in what is presented by the media. Uh, great comment, Colin. Uh, good opportunity to uh, insert a promo here. Uh, if you like my show, Pillow Talk, if you like the other shows, but not mine, on the Good Source channel, um, then please become a supporter. This is how you can actually choose the news that you get to be presented. Uh, so many of our commentators um, are pursuing a full-time job, doing this for the love, uh, but wouldn't it be great if we had the best commentators in Australia actually uh, reimbursed for their time so they could do it full-time and bring really quality research and production uh, and entertainment to you that wasn't filled with euphemisms and Marxist lies. Um, the mainstream media is worth little more than the label lying harlot these days, uh, and, and that's a great shame. But it's 100% accurate and not in the least bit polemic or hyperbolic. Absolutely provable. I've got a, a great article. You can look it up at any time. But if you would like to get more of this content, please head to goodsource.news and become a weekly or monthly supporter for any amount that you can afford, and uh, we would love to keep producing uh, and and building the disruption of the lying harlot media uh, for you. So let's head back to the comments. Um, a conscience for the nation. Yikes, anthropomorphism of a society. No, a society is human. It's not a single human, but it is um, certainly comprised of collective sentiment, collective will. That's uh, actually how you get a government. So don't overreact. Um, and Colin says, we seek to be as Jesus and God the Father. We are not equal to them. Of course, I'm not divine, um, but we certainly want to, uh, yeah, be like Jesus, uh, imitate him, be imitators of him, follow up. Um, Adam Smith says Jesus was not a Jew. Good one, buddy. What was he, American? Blonde-eyed surfer? Um, some thinkers on, okay, he's just crapping on about stuff here, um, arguing but not really making much sense. Um, YouTuber's official says, seriously, where is the political party that stands in favour of God, family and country? Surely there's a void that needs to be filled. Uh, you know what? Uh, 
great conversation here. Um, opportunity for great conversation. Uh, I don't think there's any benefit to reinventing the wheel. Uh, I was on the state executive in Queensland for the Family First Party until it ended by um, joining forces with um, Corey Bernardi's conservative, Australian conservatives. Uh, and, and so I gave a lot of effort to minor parties. Um, obviously, they'd been around for a while. Family First had achieved great things in South Australia and had had a really good influence and presence in Queensland as well. Other states, it, it really struggled. Australian Christians do really well in, in Western Australia. Um, but minor parties are not the answer. Uh, they may be part of the answer, um, but they're not the answer. Um, a new thing um, is never going to bring everybody with it. It's just not. It's just not. Uh, and the reality is that when Malcolm Turnbull conspired with his bedfellows, the Greens, to change the Senate voting rules, it completely gutted the power of the Australian minor parties to represent their voters um, with the, the flow of preferences. Now, whether you think this is a good thing or a bad thing, that's a debate we can have for another time. The certain thing is that it ended the future of not yet established minor parties. So One Nation is still doing fairly well. The Greens are obviously doing fairly well. They didn't care about this legislation at all. What it really was was a death knell to the kind of parties uh, that this commenter is saying, the political parties that stand in favour of God, family and country. That was the end of that. That's Malcolm Turnbull's legacy. He's a Marxist, green, environmental extremist to the core. Uh, I don't know why he was in the Liberal Party other than the reason that there weren't enough good Christians in the Liberal Party to pre-select somebody better when he first got up. Uh, so that's uh, a tragedy that we, the voters, are responsible for. And the way we prevent another Malcolm Turnbull in the future is by joining the Liberal Party or the Labor Party. Join whatever party you think you can make a difference in and be there to make a difference, not because you think it's perfect, and represents you, but because you think it's not perfect and needs you. That's how you prevent those horrible people from getting their claws into the country again. Uh, but get their claws in, they did. And so the future prospects of minor parties are very, very limited. Now, I'd, again, if you're following Jesus, here's how we can have unity. You follow him. If he's leading you to join a minor party and be super um, effective and energetic there, then more power to you, strength to your arm, strength to your arm. As it says in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength. Give it your best shot. I certainly won't criticize you or oppose you. Let's not oppose each other. We have a common enemy. Uh, and this is where we find unity, uh, which is not a leftist term. That's actually a biblical term. Uh, and the Bible has been around for a little bit longer than the Frankfurt School, if you'll forgive me correcting you, because you're wrong. Uh, unity is a biblical term. And not only has the Bible been around longer, but it's the Word of God, and that is timeless. And that certainly predates all human attempts at striving and wisdom. Now, how we can have unity in here is it's important to remember if you're fighting on the minor party front and somebody else is fighting on the major party front, you're on the same team. It's just like in World War II. 
there was an axis of evil with Germany and Italy and a couple of others who needed to be defeated. But you had the Allies fighting on many different fronts with many different generals and many different strategies, many different battles. And just because they weren't in the same trenches didn't mean they weren't on the same time, on the same side. So if you're called to fight in a minor party, do it. If you're called to fight in a major party, do it. If you don't know where you're called to fight, that's where a conversation happens. And for my money, I think there's more wisdom and effectiveness in helping to renew the Liberal Party uh, back to its original foundations and then improving it even further into that kind of party that this commenter is talking about by the name of YouTube official, who may not actually be a YouTube official. He's after a political party that stands in favour of God, family and country. Surely there's a void that needs to be filled. My answer is, well, no, there's not a void that needs to be filled. There's a culture that needs to be changed. Uh, you need to be a missionary to the political party that you would probably uh, think is most likely to win government that most likely represents you. And to my mind, that's either going to be the Labor Party or the Liberal Party or the Nationals, perhaps. Uh, but helping to make those parties more like the party that you want them to be in favour of God, family and country, that's how you fill that void because they're the parties that are likely to be forming government for the next 10 to 20 years. Now, could a minor party be viable uh, as a balance of power uh, in the longer term? Anything's possible. I really don't think it's possible in the next 10 to 20 years. Again, feel free to disagree. There's no scripture that says uh, one way or the other. Um, Colin says he's not familiar with the biblical version of unity. Well, Colin, uh, the Apostle Paul was so big on unity, he actually uh, basically said it's a, a good reason to kick people out of church. If there's troublemakers, they're just sowing discord and disunity. Uh, they're resisting, um, well, the unity. They're resisting the leadership of the church, etc. cetera. Uh, if they're refusing to cooperate with uh, God's moral law, um, kick them out absolutely ruthlessly. Kick them out. Uh, because the unity must be preserved um, above all else. Uh, a very, very old concept. Um, so anyway, um, uh, Florian, good to see you in the comments section. Welcome. Thanks for uh, having a chat. Um, look, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, there's a couple of um, things I, I guess I want to talk about more, but... Uh, the main idea here was was to say the church and state summit is coming up because the thing that burns in my heart the most is to get people like me, uh, people in my church, people in churches like mine, and, and I've been in a lot of churches over the last 40 or so years, um, and it's pretty consistent that most people are undereducated on the topic of political activism. And I'm talking Pentecostals, evangelicals, uh, mainlines, uh, Protestants, you know, whatever flavor and, and tribal family denomination you want to talk about. Um, there are some that do a lot better than others. Um, Catholics have been really strong on pro-life activism for a long time, leaving Protestants and evangelicals 
uh, you know, in their dust. Uh, it's We really need to pick up our game there. But the church and state summit, rather than being a critic of the church, wanted to be a resource for the church. That's what this ministry is all about. And so the church and state summit is all about encouraging and equipping and empowering believers uh, that this is for you. This is not for um, church elites. This is not for political elites. This is for uh, plumbers and teachers and lawyers and stay-at-home parents and uh, for people who have an occupation. Because when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate how we love our neighbours, the perfect example that he offered uh, as a modeler of the love for neighbour was somebody who was a stranger to the victim on the side of the road, and he was on his way somewhere else. He was not in the ministry of roadside assistance. He wasn't a paramedic. He was on his way to from A to B, and he allowed himself to be interrupted. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced by God to love his neighbour. And, and he then invested his time, he invested his effort, he invested his money and resources, and he took a long-term interest in the welfare of his neighbour. If you're not familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, Google it, parable of the Good Samaritan, and go and read it. And then remember what I'm saying, invest your time, your effort, your money, and take a long-term interest in the welfare, the outcomes for the flourishing of your neighbour. And that is an example of why we should be in politics. Of course, there's many ways to love your neighbour. The parable wasn't about politics specifically. It was about loving your neighbour. But there's no better way to be invested. There's no better leverage and return on investment than to get involved in politics. In Australia, we have just over 25 million people. A federal election, if you invest your time and your effort, is an opportunity to help 25 million people all at once. That's a really good reason to value our democracy and participate in it and to steward it as well as possible. Now, that word stewardship is uh, derived from another parable where Jesus talked about responsibility for the opportunities, privileges and gifts he's given us to be faithful with and to be responsible with, not to be lazy with. And at the end of that parable, he spoke to the person who gave back Jesus, the master in the parable, only what he'd been given. In my mind, that's somebody who doesn't vote or who only votes. And he said, uh, you wicked and lazy servant. What he was happy with was the servants who invested and gave him double back what they had been entrusted with, gave him back double the return. So the person who'd been given five talents uh, gave him back 10. The person who'd been given 10 talents gave him back 20. And he said, well done, good and faithful servants. That's the opportunity we have with the public square. It doesn't require us to give up our day job. It doesn't require us to be politicians or full-time activists. What it requires us is to be interested and to be informed about the public debate going on around us with or without us. Martin Luther King said, the church must be reminded it is not the master or the servant of the state, but it is the conscience of the state. The church has a role in advising and counselling and declaring truth to the nation, to the voters of the nation. 
that is not anthropomorphizing a, a, a non-entity, that is, that is talking to the humanity, the hearts, the individuals, the minds of people. Educated voters are better voters. And I'm not trying to make people vote my way. I'm actually just trying to make people vote better. Think better. Think for yourselves. Disarm the power of the mainstream media. Look through the rhetoric and self-serving agendas of political parties who tell you what they need you to hear and need you to think to return them to power. Far too often I've seen politicians who are motivated by another term in parliament instead of right or wrong. I've been told by a politician who should know better, and it's a common sentiment, he's not alone, better to win under Malcolm Turnbull than lose under Tony Abbott. Wrong. Wrong. You stand for what's right. You stand for what's good. You stand for what's true. And if you need to lose, then you come back better and stronger with better arguments than before. You prosecute with conviction and leadership. That's how you make the nation better, not by appeasing and compromising to the to people who are in the halfway position between right and wrong. There's no centre. There's half wrong. I'm not interested in left or right. I'm not interested in liberal or labour. I'm not interested in conservative or progressive. I'm interested in truth, justice and what's right. That's why it's better to lose for the right reasons than win for the wrong reasons. That's the right way to look at it. That's the perspective. But again, it's our fault when a politician thinks like that because winning should be a natural consequence of doing what's right because we have educated, informed and involved voters. It always comes back to me. It always comes back to our participation level. And so let's do as much as we can. If you'd like to be encouraged, if you'd like to be informed, if you'd like to be activated for influencing culture, for being salt and light, whether you're a Christian or not, then I encourage you to get along to the Christian conference, the Church and State Summit. You can watch online from wherever you are in the world for only 20 Australian dollars. We're going to be live streaming. There's going to be four or five cameras. It's going to be a high quality broadcast. Uh, you're not going to be, uh, it's not going to be uh, some random Facebook live. It's actually going to be a really high quality production um, that we're putting a lot of effort into. We've got limited seats because of COVID. Last time I looked an hour ago, there were 40 seats left. Uh, you can still get those. It's going to be in Brisbane next Friday and Saturday. And of course, it will be online. You can watch it live or later for just $20. Uh, I'm thinking about probably making individual videos available for $5 each. Uh, but the whole summit, I think it's 12 sessions, is available for just $20. So there's no reason for anybody to miss out. You will be encouraged. You will be equipped. You will be inspired and motivated. If you're tired, if you're really into the culture war already, it will be a great shot in the arm to keep up the good fight for the rest of 2021 because it never stops coming. The war will always be raging for the hearts and the soul of our nation, for justice, for truth, for liberty, uh, and for God's will to be done. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. That's what we should be pursuing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let earth be a really great representation of, 
of the flourishing and and great things that heaven is where God's kingdom is. And that's what we want through the Church and State Summit is not for my will to be done, but for God's will to be done. And so very happy uh, to have debates and encouragement uh, for unity in, in these things. Uh, and the best way that I can encourage you to do that is to get along to the Church and State Summit. Uh, a great lineup of speakers. There's a whole lot of um, information about the speaker profiles and each session, the full program details uh, on the website, churchandstate.com.au. There's access to videos from the last three years. We started this in 2018. This is going to be the fourth year. You can get the videos from every year before this year for just $10. Uh, and we had John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, as our first keynote speaker. And there's just been nonstop amazing speakers the whole time. Always a varied uh, program. And one of the things I am blown away by this year is how coordinated the speakers and the program are. Um, so get along to the summit, get along to the website, churchandstate.com.au. Make sure you grab your tickets um, and um, we will uh, look forward to chatting to you more then. Thanks for watching tonight. Uh, make sure you share with your friends and uh, we will see you uh, hopefully next week, uh, but also this Thursday on uh, Not Q&A on this channel. Uh, that's all for tonight. Good night. It's time for us to do something. Na, 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 na.